Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, verses through 24, we continue our series on something greater. And today, we want to talk about how generosity is greater than wealth and how it's greater than riches. Generosity is better. And I know that seemingly, whenever um, a conversation or a message or a series comes up uh, in regards to our finances, it can be kind of a tricky thing. Because for some reason, I, I know for a fact that money is one of those things that it touches us in a very unique way. Um, not because I think that we are inherently greedy, like we just want to be greedy, but I think it's very possible that we can be very self-absorbed and we can think that our needs are greater than what God has called us to in that moment with our finances. And I'm just, I'm going to be upfront about that today. Now, if you're our guest today, we do talk about finances around here from time to time. And I want to say this, that uh, the church isn't after your money. And I want to say that God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, in fact, heaven's streets are paved with gold. And God doesn't need anything that we have to offer him. Amen? Nothing. We have nothing that God is in need of. So when God talks about generosity, he's talking about it in terms of how it can benefit us and how it can release us from the grip that money often has on our hearts. And so we want to continue this series and think about something greater. Because ultimately, and I mentioned this last week, life is, and you may jot this down today, life is uncompromisingly difficult and disappointing at times, is it not? And if I'm just being all cards on the table, I had a rough week this week. It was one of those weeks that you just want to write off and be like, I could have done without all that. Can I get an amen? Have you ever had one of those weeks? You know, just every phone call, every interaction, it just seemed like a personal fail. Now, in spite of all of that, in spite of the disappointment, in spite of the, the difficulty in it, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. Christ calls us to live life to the fullest. So even in the disappointing times, the difficult times, and the uncertain times, even, even when we fail God and we fail to live up to the calling that he has on our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ, God, listen, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose in your difficulty. He has a, 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 a purpose in your disappointments. He has a purpose in your setbacks. And in all of that, he wants you and he wants me to live life to the fullest that we can possibly live, right? And for some of us this morning, that might sound strange because you're thinking, man, um, my marriage is coming apart. Man, my marriage has already come apart. My finances are in such disarray. I don't even know how I'm going to pay my mortgage. I've made some bad decisions and I've done this pastor, I don't know if I'm going to keep my job. They're downsizing. And all of these things could be rattling around in our head this morning. And yet, in spite of that, Jesus is calling you and me to something greater, something more, something full. He wants us essentially to live for the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount describes what life can be like for you and me. And it's not a list necessarily of imperatives, things that God wants us to do. But the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is about what we could be, who God has called us to be as followers of Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand today that the Bible 
isn't a book, uh, it's not a a manual on how to have your best life now or a book that pragmatically explains how to get the most out of your life. In fact, some of us think that spiritual maturity terminates on on a knowledge of the scriptures. And how many people do you know that know the Bible but don't live out the Bible in their lives, right? And how many of you in your life, you know the Bible, but there isn't the spiritual depth or maturity that you're actually imitating the life of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we need to understand that the spiritual maturity doesn't just terminate on a knowledge of the Scriptures, but it terminates on a person, and his name is Jesus. So everything that we're supposed to be and everything that we're supposed to do terminate on the life of Jesus Christ. And all of that, to some degree, is wrapped up in the Sermon on the Mount. Now this morning, one of the things that we need to recognize as we think about something greater is this, is that our calling, our calling is to be known and loved by Jesus Christ. Do you know that this morning? You love Jesus because he what? He first loved you. And so our calling this morning is to be known and loved by Jesus. And if that isn't enough for you, nothing that this world offers will ever satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. So until you and I come to a place in our life where we we understand that, like, I mean, are you with me today? Like, Jesus knows me, right? Like, Jesus, he knows who I am. He he knows how 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 many hairs that I have on my head. He knows how many hairs I'm losing, right? Because of you. He knows. He knows what I need. He, he knows the fears and the worries, and he knows what I'm thinking when I wake up at 3 in the morning. He, he knows the, the struggles that I face. He, he knows me by name. And I, we're, we're talking about a God that created an intergalactic universe by the word of his power, and he knows me. And I'm going to tell you, there really isn't a whole lot in this world that it offers that can compare to the reality and the knowledge that Jesus knows who I am. That's not enough for you. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever ever satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And so, we want to consider, what does it mean to pursue something greater? You know, the very reason that Jesus came was to offer us something greater. Life, with all of its pleasure, all of its possessions, and the power, uh, all of it failed to compare to a life devoted to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill, and destroy. And I've come that they might have life, and that they might have it what? Abundantly. And you need to be asking yourself today, am I living a life of abundance? Am I doing that? Am I living a life that that is full? Am I living a life that one day when I die, I will be happy with how and what I pursue. Last week, I uh, brought up the fact that sometimes we pursue things in life, and I think hobbies are fine, but I brought up, you know, like, what is the trophy room going to be of our lives? What is it that when we come down to the end of our life that we're going to say, hey, this is, the, this is the, the milestone, the legacy of my life? And I mentioned last week that some people love to hunt, and they got, like, uh, deer heads on their wall, and some people have, and I saw some of you looking at each other and pointing, like, while I'm preaching, like, in the middle of the message, Right? 
Don't do that to visitors. I don't care if you do that to your family or, you know, whatever. Helps me to know who to point things at, you know. But, but some of us, that's right. Those are the things that we live for. But I think there's something greater to live for. I think there's something of value that God wants us to experience. And if we don't, if we don't listen well, and if we don't engage or dive into this, we're going to miss out on living life to the fullest and living out life in a way that would honor God. I think Jesus, to some degree, was pressing into this truth, and it's this. Do you have a religious reputation or a real relationship with Jesus Christ? And many of you that today that are sitting in here today, you have a reputation. Like, people know that you're a religious person. They know you come to church. You might even post pictures on your social media account of Bible verses. But there's a, there's a big divide sometimes with our public persona and our personal pursuit of who Jesus Christ is and was and how that really impacts the way in which we live. Another way to consider this truth is the disposition of your heart. Do you have a heart that's divided or distracted or a heart that is devoted? Because the secret to something greater is a fierce devotion to God. The secret to something greater. Now listen, if you're missing out on the fullest life that God has for you, and if you're missing out on the abundance that that, that life could be for you, it's likely because there is a lack of fierce devotion to knowing, pursuing, and loving Jesus Christ. And so, today we kind of want to look at this. We're going to kind of break it down in this way. A greater purpose, motivated by a greater passion, will provide greater clarity. This is what we're going to look at today. A greater purpose, motivated by a greater passion, will create a, gl- a greater clarity. Now, when we talk about finances, we talk about money. And Jesus talked, listen, Jesus talked about money. All right, can we just, all cards on the table. Jesus talked about finances. In fact, he talked about money more than he did anything else in the New Testament. He even spoke about money more than he did where we're going to spend eternity. And I think one of the reasons, and I, no, 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 I, I take that back. One of the reasons I know that Jesus did that because it's one of those idols in our heart that caused us to be distracted and divided in our pursuit and knowing who Jesus was. It's one of those idols that, that uh, tends to off-rail us, if you will, from God's true purpose in our lives. And so I think it's fairly common that most of us, including myself, we struggle with this idea of money. We do. More than we want to admit and more than we want to acknowledge. And we wonder. We do. I do this. Am I going to have enough? Am I really going to have enough in life? We wonder about our financial security. And we try to keep up with appearances. I love what Dave Ramsey says. We, we buy things and we go into debt to impress people that we don't even like, right? We do that. So we try to keep up appearances. And we, we financially, we spread ourselves thin. We we, we get into debt. We worry about our kids' college fund uh, if we're a, at that place. And so, so I understand this morning to some degree that because I, I struggle with this, this idea of money. But more importantly, I think Jesus understood that. I think Jesus understood that we would worry about our financial security. I think Jesus understood that we were going to worry about how we were going to pay for our kids' college or, or, or forget college. We're wondering how we're going to pay for kids' school supplies. I, I thought, you know, growing up, school paid for stuff like that. Now it's like several hundred dollars just to get pencils for the kids, right? And so now we're worrying about that stuff. And for some, we're even worrying about how we're going to put groceries on the table. And so Jesus wants us to think about, instead of using money as um, 
he wants us to consider using money as a tool because it, it becomes a God. And money, listen, write this down. Money is a horrible God. It's a horrible thing to serve and to be beholden unto. And Jesus steps in recognizing its grip on us and offers us a way to move forward. And so he's teaching us what it looks like to use our money for something greater. And so he says in verse number 16, or I'm sorry, verse 19, he says, look, very simply, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where things, uh, where thieves break in and steal. And then he says, in contrast, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and whether thieves do not break in and steal. So uh, two things going on here. One, he's giving us a purpose, right? He's giving us a purpose. What are you going to live for? It's just as simple as that. What are you going to live for? And, th- and with that purpose, he attaches later on a promise. And the promise is this. If you lay up your treasures in heaven, they will outlive you and the life that you have on this earth. And that's the promise. And so to some degree, the promise is attached to the purpose. And so he's saying laying up is this. It's a means of measuring life by the true riches and not by the false riches of this world. That's what it means. And so let me ask you this morning. When you look at your life, are you really measuring your life by the true riches that God has called us to or by the riches of this world? Because, you know, you can have, listen, everything that this world has to offer and never be satisfied. Now. It's like the family that got on this airplane, and they got upgraded to first class. Who's ever gotten upgraded to first class? I have. It's been it's pretty slick, right? I'm 6'2". I love all the foot room I can get on an airplane. The problem was the family got the upgrade to first class, but their plane was going to the wrong destination. Are you with me? You can be rolling first class all you want, but you could be heading to the wrong destination. And the fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of families that are sitting in this room today and your kids lack for nothing. But spiritually, they're heading in the wrong direction. You're heading in the wrong direction. And so your life must be measured by and must be defined by a greater purpose. Success is measured by our faithfulness to God's calling. This means we live by faith for the kingdom. We live for something greater. We live for something more significant and something more eternal. And so I want to ask you today, what are you using to measure the success in your life right now? What is it that you truly believe is of value in your life right now? Because I think when we overlay that with the word of God, sometimes we come up lacking. And what Jesus is saying is simply this. Stuff fades. That's what he's saying. Stuff fades. Stuff decays. It doesn't last. Yesterday I went out, or Friday I went out, mowed my grass. I got a uh, weed whacker, and uh, I only use it a few times a year because we don't mow as much here. It's not like we live in a, a warmer climate. And I go out and start pulling that weed whacker, and I try to get that thing going, and guess what? Didn't start. You know why? Because things break. They break down. If you own a house, how many, if you own a house, you live in a house, I mean, to, to some degree, it feels like a house sometimes is a money pit, doesn't it? 
You're just constantly just picking and fixing things up, you know? I, I look at my landscape, and, I mean, every year, guess what? Now, I bought this house, and when we moved down, I was like, man, this is great. They did a lot with this landscape. Man, those people were nuts, man. They had so much uh, mulch that now i got to do that every year? Why? Because it washes away. I'm out there every day picking up weeds because the landscape, it, it looked beautiful when we moved in. But I don't want to spend my life doing that, right? I, I don't want to invest my life. I mean, well, what do I get? Like, if I get, like, the Piatone Community Yard of the Year, like, who cares? Right? Like, I'm all for mowing your grass, and I'm all for keeping a good testimony in your community, but that's not what I'm living for. Stuff fades. It decays. It, it breaks down. And, and Jesus is saying simply this. It's a monumental error to choose this world for our reward. Instead, Jesus is promising that a life lived for eternity is greater. Let me ask you this question. When you think about the purpose of your life, and I, I really hope that our young people can grab onto this today. But what do you think will be most important five minutes after you die? We don't like to think about death because it's kind of scary, right? But what do you think is going to be most important five minutes after you die? Come on. What do you think? It's not going to be your boat, you know? Why well, I really had this nice tracker boat. You should have seen the fish that I brought in on this boat. Who cares, Right? And I'm all for fishing, I'm all for like relaxing, but who cares? You think it's going to be your 401k? You think it really is going to matter what zip code you lived in when you get to heaven? I mean, it's gonna, I mean, really? I think it's funny, because like we go to downtown Frankfurt, and they sell in downtown Frankfurt these t-shirts that say 60423, like it's Beverly Hills 90210. And if you live in Frankfurt, and I know some of you were raised there, God bless you. Like in the South, we say, well, bless your heart, you know. It's Frankfurt, right? You think, you think it's going to matter that you lived in 60423 when you get to heaven, when, when God says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and that place is a mansion with streets of gold and gates of pearl, and we're going to have the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be like a constant, like, fogo to chow meal. Like, you serious? Are you, you, I mean, are you kidding me? It's not going to matter think your 401k is going to matter, your vacations? You, you think it's really going to matter one day? Like, listen, you think it's going to matter when you get to heaven if you drove a Range Rover or a Mercedes or a Tesla? And I'm saying if you drive that and you can afford that, please do that, but make sure you give, amen, right? And, and if, you know, but seriously, I think we're going to be able to teleport, like I do. Like, I don't think it's going to matter if I have a Tesla or a a ranger, I'm be like, you know, I want to go hit the beach today. And go, you know, like, I'm not going to need a plane or a helicopter. Like, we're just going to go. I don't know how, but I think we're going to go, right? So, so, so the stuff that we think is so, like, valuable, it's a joke when you think of it in the scope of eternity. And, and we laugh about it, but really, it's a joke. And here's the cool thing. If, if look. American, our economy is so kind of wonky to some degree because here in America, if you're at 30,000, you're, you're at the poverty level. But around the world, you're one of the top richest people on the planet. But let's just say for a moment that you're at 30 grand and that's just what you live on. Can I share something with you? Do what you can with what you have and trust in the God of eternity that one day he is going to reward you with even more. Oh, man. And some of you say, well, I don't make a lot right now. I, I can't give. 
Hey, listen, if God can't trust you with a little, he's surely not going to trust you with a lot, right? So, so our purpose, but then our passion. We're called to a greater affection. And look what he goes on to say. He says in verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And, and this is just simply this. The heart follows the treasure. Wherever your treasure is, there your care and your fears will be. This is where you trust. This is what you cherish and what you love. Jesus is teaching that people's choices and actions are shaped by the things that they cherish most. So then this becomes an issue of worship and affection. Now listen, this is important to God. Because God said in the Big Ten, you shall have no other what before me? No other what? No other gods. And some of us have made a God out of our money and out of our finances. You worship whatever you put ultimate value on. Paul was concerned about this. In 1 Timothy 6.10, he he says, the love of money. The love of money is a root, a root, not the root, but a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this, um, it is through this craving that some wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with so many pangs. God's a jealous God. He commands us to have no other gods before us. Money is dangerous because of what it can do to our relationship to Jesus. Listen, money has the potential to weaken our affection for Jesus Christ. Money has the potential to distract us from the mission of God. Because then, once we get to a place of financial security, guess what? We don't have to depend on Jesus like we used to. Anything that we find security and significance in is an idol that we've replaced with the God of all grace. And God alone deserves our love, our worship, and our affection. Not our money, not our stuff, not our popularity, not our success in this life. God God and God alone. Now listen, Jesus wants to be our primary source of security. He wants to be our primary source of significance. And when you replace Jesus with security, with money with, with security, or money with significance, and Jesus is no longer a part of that equation, you have made an idol out of something that at some point he's going to discipline you on. Generosity is not something, listen, generosity is not something that he wants from us. It's something he wants for us. So we need to guard our hearts. You know, Jesus commands us to give, not to get the money out of our pockets, but to get the idols out of our hearts. That's what giving does for us. It's not because Jesus needs our money, and he needs to get the money out of our pockets to further the mission. While, yes and amen, money furthers that mission, but like we talk about giving around here, not because we need your money, but what we want for you is that your love and affection for Christ is growing more than the things of this world. And I want to say this. When there's a lack of passion, there will be a lack of generosity. Are you with me? You might write that down. Because when there is a a passion for Christ, your generosity will be consistent. Financially and otherwise. When you're fired up about who Jesus is and what Jesus has specifically done for you. And I mean, when you think about it, and I I prayed this this morning. I said, God, I deserve hell. I deserve to be separated from you. I don't deserve your mercy today. 
And yet, you love me. You know me. You call me to walk with you and to have communion with you. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want other people to know about that. And when God has called me and God has redeemed me and God has rescued me, and I'm, I'm passionate about that and I'm passionate about the purpose and the eternity that he has called me to live for and he's called me into, then guess what? Giving and generosity isn't going to be an issue because what matters most is Jesus Christ. And so he moves from not just a purpose and a passion, but then he moves into this priority. And look at what he says in this passage of Scripture. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Because no man can serve two masters, so um, either he will hate the one or he will love the other or he will be devoted to the one. There's that word again. He will either be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God. Look what he says. And money. Now. Basically, what that verses 22 and 23 mean is this. I'm not looking in two different directions. I'm not trying to pursue success at the expense of knowing and following my Savior. You with me? I'm not looking in two different directions. It denotes, these verses, they denote a simplicity of the mind's eye. It denotes a singleness of priority. It means looking right at its object as opposed to having two ends in view. It's not like I can have both. I need to focus on the one. And we're going to talk about this next week where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But our responsibility, our calling, focus on Jesus. Lean into Jesus. Use all that I am and all that I have and leverage that for the kingdom of God. It means simplicity. Singleness of purpose, looking right at its object. Now, let me ask you this morning, what are you looking at today? What are you most interested in? What have you made a priority in your life? What is it in your life that you've made and put ultimate value on above knowing Jesus Christ? Now, listen, I'm all for making a living. I hope every man in this room and every woman in this room and every person in this room, I hope you will make as much money as you can for the glory of God, for the sake of the kingdom, and use that, that wealth so that others can see the generosity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you do that. I mean, I hope you do. But I hope it doesn't take you away, because that's what First Timothy 6.10 says. I hope it doesn't pull you away and cause you to wander away from the faith. Because at the end of the day, listen, are you with me? I am nothing. I am nothing if I am not first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it, I, 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 can't even, I can't even be a husband if I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I can't be a dad. I, I can't be a good employee. I can't, I can't do anything. And, and, and even if I have successes, worldly successes in those areas of life without Jesus, guess what? It means absolutely nothing without him. And so when God called you and me to be followers of Jesus, he wasn't asking us to make a few tweaks on morality. Are you with me? Some of us think, like, well, I, I'm not committing adultery. That's a pretty low bar. Well, I'm not a drug addict. Again, a low bar. 
I'm not a I'm not an alcoholic. Low bar. Those are all moral issues. I hope you're not an alcoholic. I hope you're not an adulterer. I I hope you're not a liar. I I, I hope that um you know you're you're not an abuser, right? And we compare ourselves, do we not, to everyone else in society, and we say, as long as I'm not as bad as this person, I'm okay. Jesus isn't interested in you comparing yourself to other people. That's that's not the goal of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The goal is your affection. The goal is your love. The goal is your pursuit. The goal is the, the singleness of mind and the singleness of purpose, living for Jesus and having such an affection for him and a priority of him in your life that people look at your life and they say, holy cow, you're different. You are living for something that's so radically opposed to this world. And while life is uncompromisingly difficult and challenging at times, you never lose your joy. You never lose your purpose. You're always on point. How do you do that? It's simple. I keep my eyes on Jesus. There's a simplicity to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and it's this. Eyes on him. Eyes on him. Eyes on the prize. Hebrews 12, 2, we talked about this last week, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is very clear in this passage. Look at the last verse again. No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one or love the other. He will either be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A disciple of Jesus cannot be partially committed. Are you guys with me today? You, you, can't, you can't be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ and be... And, and be partially committed. And I don't know. I'm not old enough to know this. But somewhere along the line in American Christianity, we thought that it was okay to add a little bit of Jesus to our life and say, it's like we go to a buffet and we'll say, I'll take some of this. I'll have a little bit of that. Mm, not really into that. It doesn't, you know, fit my palate. I don't need that. Man, you're either all in or you're not. You're either committed or you're not. Jesus either owns your life and has ownership of it and has authority of it or not. You you can't be duplicit in this matter. You will either follow him or you will follow someone else or something else. So what Jesus is saying ultimately in this passage of Scripture is this. The solution to the grip of money is this. Maybe you're here this morning and money is... Maybe you're afraid. I want to talk about this next week because I, you know, I, I, I get worry. I get anxiety. But some of us are gripped by those fears. We're gripped by what I talked about in the first part of this message about the idea of security. And I don't think any of those things are wrong. Again, I don't think it's wrong to have hobbies. I invest in hobbies. I invest in travel. I, I do those things. I, I think there's a value to that. I think they're gifts from God. But God doesn't want us to worship the gift. He wants us to worship the giver of the gift, and that is him. So the solution to the grip of money is this. It's generosity. Generosity. The solution to the grip of money in our hearts is generosity. If God has given you any any form of wealth, if God has given you any form of riches, it's to invest it in the kingdom for his purposes to demonstrate our love, our trust, and our confidence in his plan for our lives. Are you, you with me? God wants you to invest your money 
in his work to demonstrate your love for him, your affection for him. He, he wants you to do that so that you can see that he will bless you. He wants you to give generously so that you will see that he will provide for you. He wants you to see that you will not go without. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, David said, I was, I was once young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'll tell you this morning, man, if I knew that one of my baby girls needed something, they needed a meal, they needed clothes, you know what I would do even if I didn't have it? I'd break my neck to make sure that I provided for them what they needed in this life. And I'm not even a good dad. In fact, they get on my nerves all the time asking me for garbage. But if they needed something, I'd pick up a second job, a third job. I'd do what I need to do. But you know, my capability is limited. But guess what? I'm one of God's children. And when I have a need, and I've had some needs, he's never let me down. He's always shown up. He's provided what I needed, and he does it when I need it. Not when I want it, but when I need it. Sometimes it's the 11th hour, and I'm sweating bricks. I'm like, you know, hey, where's this coming from? You promised. Right? I've told God that. And every time, I can honestly tell you, he's never let me down. Because when I give, it's a demonstration of my love, my trust, and my confidence in his plan for my life. And so let me ask you, what will you be gripped by in life? Are you gripped by a purpose? Are you gripped by the passion for his kingdom? Listen, a lack of trust, a lack of trust is a lesser life. And I'm just calling you to do this today. I'm not even calling you to give. I'm just calling you to trust in Jesus. I'm calling you to understand that generosity is the pathway to something greater. because. Not because you're giving to the church, because you're not giving to the church. You're giving to God through the church. You're just obeying what God's commanded you to do. But what you're doing is you're growing your faith all in the same time. And Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith it's impossible to please him. Isn't that what we're talking about? Who and what are you going to put your faith in? Because something greater is a life of dynamic faith that sees God at work. Now, I want to ask you this. This is kind of interesting. But we trust God with our future, but we... Do we really trust him with our finances? And I think that's fascinating. I think it's incredible that we can really put our faith in a God that we've never seen. And we can say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with this. One day when I die, I'm going to wake up in eternity, and you're going to give me a mansion. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. I'm going to go to this marriage supper of the lamb thing. The world's going to come to an end. You're going to come in on a white horse, a tattoo on your thigh, and a sword coming out of your mouth. It's, it's a revelation, Right? Some crazy stuff, right? Like sci-fi type stuff. But it's in the Bible, and it's going to happen. And we can trust God with that, but we can't trust him to put food on our table. Right? Man, you can waste your life today pursuing things that will fade into decay, or you can throw yourself into fully pursuing something greater and and someone that matters. I just want to ask you today, are you living the greater life? When you think about your life, and I'm not here to guilt or shame anyone. I know people have financial problems. I know that 
it's hard, man. It just seems like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to provide for your kids. It's hard to prepare for retirement. Um, It's hard to, for some, it's just hard to pay your mortgage and to just have enough, right? Some of us are living check to check. I mean, I I, I get that. I'm not trying to put more burden on you. Jesus isn't trying to put more burden on you. The only thing I want you to understand today is this, is that God has a purpose for your life. And it's a purpose that goes beyond what's in the here and now. And I just want to encourage you to be faithful to what God has called you to do and be obedient because if, if we don't take the steps that God has called us to, our faith will be stunted along the way.